Well, good morning, Grace Point. Uh, welcome to a brand new teaching series. We're starting a new series today uh, that will take us all the way to the end of May. So when we're done with this series, all the trees, all the flowers will have bloomed. Uh, it's going to start to feel a little bit hot and humid here in Kansas. And hopefully, we'll all have a haircut by then as well, right? It's the small things in life that we need to enjoy right now. I can't guarantee you that that will happen, but what I can guarantee you is um, throughout the series, this is the greatest sermon you'll ever hear. This is the greatest sermon you'll ever hear. In fact, I almost titled this teaching series The Greatest Sermon Ever. Not because of, it's, not because of my sermon, but because we're, for the next six weeks, going to look at the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of sermons. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to follow along in your Bible or mobile device, we'll get to that here in a second. This is some of the richest teaching in all of the New Testament, uh, some of the hardest teaching in all of the New Testament, some of the most misunderstood teaching in all of the New Testament. It's been read by more people, studied by more scholars, quoted by more writers, and changed more lives than any sermon in human history. It really is the greatest sermon ever. Now, in our day and age, um, we oftentimes associate sermons and preaching with, with telling people what to do or telling people how they should live. But um, in Jesus' day, preaching wasn't even considered a, a religious thing. It was a news thing, like the, the newspaper or uh, the nightly news. Jesus was going around. He was, he was walking around the, 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 the Galilee and Jerusalem and all that area of Israel, um, announcing that something had happened. And it wasn't just news. It was good news. The, the Greek word for that in the New Testament is euangelion. Eu is a little particle that means good. It's where we get euphoria or good feeling. Uh, eulogy, good inscription or good language. Eugenic is good birth and Europe is good rope. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what that means. And then angelion means messenger. It's where we get our word angel. This is where the word evangelical comes from which is a word, it's, it's a label that has been just completely trashed in our day. In fact, um, there's a denomination called the Evangelical Free Church. And there was a woman who visited um, an Evangelical Free Church because she didn't like evangelicals. She figured if a, if a sugar-free soda didn't have sugar and fat-free brownies didn't have any fat... An evangelical free church meant that there weren't any evangelicals. And that, I am afraid, is a true story. <laughs> but again, in Jesus' day, evangel just meant good news or gospel, which is what Jesus went around announcing. So what we're getting ready to look at for the next few weeks is the good news that Jesus himself announced. And if Jesus thought it was the biggest bestest, most glorious news in history, I think we should pay attention to it. In fact, I think those of us who are followers of Jesus should form our lives around it. One of my favorite authors and favorite pastors, his name is Scott Sauls. He says this, 
The sheer popularity of self-help books points to the reality that humans live with an insatiable longing for something more, something better. We want more. People in Jesus' day wanted more. And I don't mean the kind of more where we just get more for more's sake. That's, that's materialism. Just material things, getting more material things that may make us happy, but it doesn't satisfy the kind of more he's talking about, the kind of more that I want us to look at over the next few weeks is the kind of more that will actually satisfy. More of God, more of God's presence, uh, more uh, purpose in life, more justice in this world, more love, more hope, more for this world, for my family, for my friends, more of all of that. And the good news is Jesus shows us how to get more. But I just got to warn you, as we look at what he says about this over the coming weeks, uh, we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about what, what we're supposed to do with, with our enemies. I just need you to know that the way that Jesus approaches these things seems completely upside down from the way that our world operates. It's, it's, a lot of times it's upside down from even the way that I think. And I have to come and I have to reorient myself around what Jesus says. But, but this message, this good news that Jesus came to announce, the kingdom he came to establish and will one day return to reign in is different than any message, than, than any kingdom the world had ever seen or has ever seen since. It's an upside-down kingdom that many people miss because they're, they're looking in all the wrong places. So if you got your Bible, if you got your mobile device, let's jump in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, is where we see the context that this takes place. Here we go. It says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So there's a crowd gathering. Um, he's mainly talking to his disciples. And just so we're clear, we're not talking about the, the famous 12 disciples. Matthew doesn't even name them until chapter 10. These are the early followers of Jesus. Um, the, the people who are just beginning to figure him out. They're, they haven't figured him out yet, but they're, they're, they're beginning to. Now, does that mean the crowd is excluded? No, it doesn't mean that. Jesus wants them to hear the good news, too. He, he knows they're listening, so he uses this opportunity to invite the crowd to follow him as well. It's like he's talking to his disciples that are real close, the people who trust him, but then he wants the rest of the crowd to hear this as well. By the way, if you're paying attention, that's how it works here at Grace Point too. Because there are times when I'll zero in on those of us who are followers of Jesus and I'll say that this is for us. We, we don't have an option here. This is what our king calls us to. But there are also times when I'll speak to those who don't believe what we believe. I'll speak to the skeptics. I'll speak to the cynics. And, and sometimes those of you who are following Jesus will go, I don't care about that. I already believe all this stuff. Well, you need to pay attention in that moment because that's going to help you with the, the skeptics and the cynics 
in your life. And this is the model Jesus gives us to communicate. Communicate with both of those groups in mind. So the the good news is for anybody and everybody. So he's going to speak to those following him. But for those who are on the edges, those who are just checking it out, those who aren't quite sure yet, you should listen in closely too. Because this is for you as well. Jesus begins with the, the Beatitudes. It's, it's a Latin word, beati, which means blessed. These are the Beatitudes. So I want you to put yourself on a hillside 2,000 years ago. If, if it helps you concentrate, imagine yourself six feet away from everybody else and listen in to the words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I I would love to take a deep dive on all eight of those but we don't have that time today. We're not going to do that. Maybe we'll come back and do that another day. I just want to take a deep dive on two of them. But first of all, the first thing you need to know is that word blessed is is a difficult word to translate. We don't really have a word that fully translates in English. Some say it, it, it could be thought of as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. And there's some truth to that, um, but it's, it's just a little shallow. Um, some people say it could have to do with God's favor, and that's true, but it doesn't roll off the tongue as well as blessed, so we're going to stick with blessed, but, but just understand, this is so much more than hashtag blessed. This, this is so much more than an Instagram story kind of, of blessed. It's so much more than that. One of the best ways that you can understand what Jesus is teaching is to understand the times in which Jesus taught. So you've heard of him before, but Aristotle um, came before Jesus. And part of what Aristotle taught about was human flourishing, this idea that that life grows and thrives and, and flourishes. So maybe what Jesus is describing here is a God-centered flourishing. A life that grows and and thrives. It doesn't just survive. It prevails against all odds. Not because of human effort. Not because humans have made it happen on their own, but because of the the presence of God in human beings. Uh, Think about it like this. Have you ever been walking and, and seen like a stone wall or maybe you're walking through the desert and you see a tree, you see a plant starting to to stick out or growing, thriving in a place that life just shouldn't, in a place where you can't even imagine it working? That's kind of what Jesus is describing here. It's, It's a kind of flourishing in situations and spaces and circumstances where most people would say there's no way anything should be growing there. And and he's not saying that we should go out and get ourselves persecuted. He's not saying that you need to find something to mourn about and you'll feel God's presence. 
I think what he's saying is, I think what he's doing is he's talking to eight different groups of people on the mountainside that day that are dealing with these things. Eight different groups of people who would find themselves in these difficult, hard, there's no way life can flourish in that place. And, and my guess is, as many people that are watching this, as many people that will watch it in the weeks and months to come, if we went through all eight of these, many of you would go, yep, that's me. Yeah, that, that's where I am. Yep, I've been there before. And, and if, if you're not or if you never have been, give it some time. Just wait because you will be. See, Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on people who thought they were out of options, on people who thought they were out of hope. There, there, there may have even been people who thought, God doesn't care about me. Look at what I'm going through. And Jesus says, I couldn't disagree more because blessed are you who are in these categories when you're in those upside-down places. There's an upside-down kingdom for you to find a home in. So I just want to look at two of them. First one from verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor here in the Greek is the strongest word for poverty in their language. This is the kind of abject poverty where you have absolutely nothing. It's, it's connected to another word for cowering, where you're so low you, you can't even make eye contact with people. Some of you have seen that kind of poverty. You may have had to go to another country to see that kind of poverty, but, but, but they're hungry, they're diseased, they have absolutely nothing, they're begging for anything, and, and they're not even making eye contact. That's, that's the image here. But, but Jesus says poor in spirit, right? And some scholars say that this can mean economic poverty or spiritual poverty. Poverty. So let, let's talk about the spiritual poverty for a second. Okay, Everything that I just described about poverty, poverty, having absolutely nothing, forget about money for a second. Let's just talk about the rest of life where, where it's all stripped away. You don't have an answer. You don't have an idea. You don't have anything to get through the struggle, the problem. You're just flat out of options. Ever been there? Ever experienced that? Jesus says that God does some of his best work in a space like that. When you can admit, God, I got nothing. I have nothing. That's when he moves in close. That's when he moves in. But that's, it's, it's difficult for us. It's, maybe it's just difficult for me because we've convinced ourselves that we've got it going on. We've convinced other people, I got it. I'm fine. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. The, the image that comes to my mind, it's kind of like watching people do karaoke. See, here's, here's the thing about karaoke. It convinces people with all the externals, the microphone, the lights, the stage, the friends and family hooping and hollering, maybe a little reverb in the microphone, all of that convinces people they have more than they actually have. 
It, it, it convinces people. They walk to the stage thinking to themselves, I sing this song in the shower all the time, and I sound great. I got it. And then they start singing, and everybody in that room is thinking the same thing. They don't got it. That, the, that, that external, those things that are propping them up, they forgot to check if they actually have any talent, right? The externals were there telling them that they sounded great, but there was nothing internal to match up with that. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you come to the end of you. Blessed are you when all the externals fall away. Blessed are you when you realize how absolutely poor you really are. When everything is stripped away and you come face to face with the reality that God's kingdom isn't full of people who have it going on. It's full of people who realize without God, I got nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, there's flourishing that can take place. There's growth, there's thriving that can take place when you are poor in spirit. Verse 4, here's the second one we're going to look at. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sounds so fun, doesn't it? Jesus, uh, he, he's not saying that going through a loss or a difficult time is a blessing in disguise. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think that's terrible semantics. Um, I think the better way to look at this, number one, um, is that it's an explicit warning that life in this world is going to push you around at times. There, there are going to be experiences that cause mourning. Something that's not going to go the way you want it. You're going to lose a relationship, um, a loved one, an opportunity, and you'll be thrown. You'll be forced into a season of mourning for a day, a week, an hour, a year. Who knows? But Jesus says in those moments, there's a blessedness that can happen. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. First of all, I think we just need to admit the hurt. We need to admit that something is being extracted from us. We need to admit that something isn't right in our, in our souls. And I, I'm learning to do this. I'm not, I'm not real good at this because my tendency is to do the superficial thing, like we've already touched on a little bit, where I try to convince people I'm fine, I'm okay, it's not that big of a deal, which is a lie. Like we lie to ourselves. We, we, we lie to other people. We like to think that, that we've got a big capital S on our chests and a cape flapping in the wind. A lot of times, the people who are the worst offenders of that are Christians. Are Christians. We, we somehow think that we're never supposed to hurt or struggle or mourn, or, or if we do, we certainly shouldn't let anybody know about it. Don't let them see you cry right? Which isn't anything close to what Jesus taught. It's, it's nothing close to what Jesus experienced. Part of the culture that Jesus grew up in was a culture of lament. Americans aren't comfortable with that. We don't like the sticky, messy, unpleasant parts of life. But in Jesus's culture, lament was a part of life. Blessed are those who admit the struggle and cling to God. 
When we come to God with our heavy hearts, with those broken pieces, Jesus says, you won't be alone. In fact, watch this. I will give you my comfort. Something. Um, something's going to comfort you. Sometimes it's through God's very presence. Sometimes it's through the community of other loving followers of Jesus. But there's comfort. It means we can mourn without giving in to hopelessness. And I just got to ask this. Anybody else found themselves there lately? You, you, you feel tired? You feel a little lost? You, you, you feel maybe depressed? You, you feel like the foundations you were standing on started to fall away and you can't find a sure footing? You may just need to call that what it is. You're grieving. You're mourning. You're lamenting. Walk into that. See, I'm, I'm always amazed at God's timing. I've been, I've been wanting to teach on the, the Sermon on the Mount since last year. I've been playing it in my head and on paper since November. I knew what I was going to talk about today since January. But I had no idea there would be a global pandemic. I had no idea we'd be confined to our homes for weeks on end. I had no idea some of you were going to lose your job. I had no idea what we'd be going through. But here we are. Here we are. And some of us are grieving. Some of us are mourning. And, and I think that's okay. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. I think that's okay. But that doesn't mean we have to give in to hopelessness. Let's not give in to the lies of the enemy who says there is no hope. There is no way out. This is as good as it's going to get because that's not true. There is hope. There is a way out. And, and, and i got to say this. If you're struggling today, if you've been struggling with thoughts of hopelessness, if you think this is the end of the end for you, I know there's struggle. I know there's layers in family. I know there's layers in this world. I understand there are many things that fold into that. But you've got to hear me. There's always hope. You may not feel it. You may not be able to get there mentally. But you've got to start by acknowledging that there is a God who will move in close to comfort you. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need a Christian counselor, if you need a pastor to call, if you need to call your sponsor, do it. When Jesus says we're blessed in moments of mourning, he doesn't say, it's not, it's not talking about the absence of pain. There is pain. But we do not lose hope because we have one who can and will comfort. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've heard story after story. Just read your Bible You'll see people asking hard, difficult, emotional questions in hard, difficult, emotional places. And it's not the cynics. It's not the skeptics. It's the people who trust God. It's David. It's Jeremiah. It's Job. And yeah, it's even Jesus. They, they mourn. They face circumstances that cause mourning. And yet they received Comfort. Again, we're comforted by God's presence. We're comforted in knowing we're not alone. Sometimes we're comforted um, just by eating a good meal and taking a nap. Those are all things, but ultimately, 
Ultimately, we're comforted because we know God has the last word. There's coming a day when everything wrong will be made right. There's coming a day when everything dead will be made alive. There's coming a day when everything upside down will be made right side up. Are you kidding me? I'm banking on it. But in the meantime, in between now and then, we'll cling to God who who promises to comfort us in mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, I, I don't think Jesus is talking about ethics or philosophy in the Beatitudes. I don't think this was just an intellectual exercise. I think this was intensely personal. And I don't know if you read that. I don't know if it feels that way when you read it. But, and this is me talking. It's not in your Bible. I, I just wonder if there was a moment when Jesus started making eye contact with people and he knew their stories. He knew that they were mourning. He, he knew that they had lost a loved one. He knew that they were going through a difficult time or somebody who's hungering and thirsting for things to be made right. Somebody who's um, just, just really is being persecuted. Somebody who's facing all kinds of nasty things because they're trying to make peace. He's looking around that crowd going, blessed are you. And blessed are you. And bl- I know what's going on. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Jesus looked them in the eye and said, this is the good news I came to proclaim. This is what it's like in my kingdom. And he's inviting everyone, his followers and those on the fringes, come, join me, follow me. This is what it looks like to follow me into the hard places. This is life in my upside down kingdom. This is life with me at the center of it. And just think, if you're somebody in that audience that day, how would you respond to that? Does that encourage you? Does it challenge you? Does it fill you with hope? Does it it make you feel affirmed? Does it make you feel seen like somebody actually knows? How do you you respond to that? I see Jesus says something right after the Beatitudes that I, I just want to leave us with. He doesn't even take a breath. It's just right after. This is what he says. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds And glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be a change agent. You're going to be a seasoning agent. You're going to be a preserving agent like salt. And you're going to push back darkness like light. He's telling his disciples that they're about to be launched into the world. And they'll be persecuted. They're going to face loss. There will be moments or seasons of mourning. But blessed are you because you're going to be men and women who season and preserve and illuminate the world. See, I, I, 
one of the things I'm learning during this moment in history is that this upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to establish, it's not so much about me preaching to rooms with people in them or all of us worshiping together. It's not about local or global initiatives as great as all of those things are. This upside-down kingdom is as simple as one faithful life clinging to God in the hard moments, trusting his faithfulness, and receiving comfort when we cry out. See, what if, what if the church can't gather, but we can scatter salt and light everywhere we go? What if, what if you can't bring people to church to hear about Jesus, but you can take Jesus to them? What if, after all of this is over, what if being citizens of the upside-down kingdom didn't depend on a church building? None of us. None of us know when this is going to end. None of us have a a remedy for COVID. But what if Jesus is is saying to us today, what if he said to us 2,000 years ago, Don't wait for things to get back to normal. Be salt and light right now. One day, one moment, one step, one conversation at a time. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.